volume one chapters fourteen and fifteen of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain fourteen truth is truth to the end of time mr pergament went back to london by a train which left ebersham at half-past five in the afternoon half an hour after the termination of the inquest churchill went to the station with his solicitor saw him into the railway carriage and only left the platform when the train had carried mr pergament on his road to london it was an understood thing that pergament and pergament were to keep the penwin estate in their hands and that churchill's interests were henceforward to be their interests to pergament and pergament indeed it was as if james penwin had never existed so completely did they transfer their allegiance to his successor churchill walked slowly away from the station seemingly somewhat at a loss how to dispose of his time he might have gone back to london with mr pergament certainly for he had no further business in the city of ebersham but for some sufficient reason of his own he had chosen to remain although he was not a little anxious to see madge bellingham whom he had not met since the change in his fortunes he had written to her before he left london to announce that fact but briefly feeling that any expression of pleasure in the altered circumstances of his life would show badly in black and white he had expressed himself properly grieved at his cousin's sad death but had affected no exaggerated affliction those clear dark eyes of madge's seemed to be looking through him as he wrote i wonder if it is possible to keep a secret from her he thought she has a look that pierces my soul such utter truthfulness he had ordered his dinner for eight and it was not yet six so he had ample leisure for loitering he went back to lowgate and out through the bar to the dull quiet road where james met his death churchill penwin wanted to see the spot where the murder had been committed he had heard it described so often that it was easy enough for him to find it a few ragged bushes of elder and blackberry divided the low marshy ground from the road just at this point from behind these bushes the murderer had taken his aim at least that was the theory of the police between the road and the river the herbage was sour and scant and the cattle that browsed thereon had a solitary and dejected look as if they knew they were shut out from the good things of this life they seemed to be the odds and ends of the animal creation and to have come there accidentally a misanthropical donkey a lean cow or two some gaunt ragged-looking horses a bony pig scattered wide apart over the narrow tract of sward along the low bank of the river mr penwin contemplated the spot thoughtfully for a little while as if he would fain have made out something which the police had failed to discover and then strolled across the grass to the river-bank the gloomy solitude of the scene seemed to please him for he walked on for some distance meditative and even moody fortune brings its own responsibilities and a man who finds himself suddenly exalted from poverty to wealth is not always gay he was strolling quietly along the bank his eyes bent upon the river with that dreaming gaze which sees not the thing it seems to contemplate when he was startled from his reverie by the sound of voices near at hand and looking away from the water perceived that he had stumbled upon a gipsy encampment there were the low-arched tents more kennels under canvas where the dusky tribe burrowed at night or in foul weather the wood-fire the ever-simmering pot the litter of ashes and dirty straw and bones and a broken bottle or two the sinister-browed vagabond lying on his stomach like the serpent smoking his grimy pipe and scowling at any chance passer-by the half-naked children playing among the rubbish the women sitting on the ground plaiting rushes into a doormat all these churchill's eye took in at a glance something more too perhaps for he looked at one of the women curiously for a moment and slackened his leisurely pace 
she put down her mat rose and walked beside him let me tell your fortune pretty gentleman she began with the same professional sing-song in which she had addressed james penwin a few days before it was the same woman who stopped the late squire of penwin lower down the river bank i don't want my fortune told thank you i know what it is pretty well replied churchill in his cold calm voice don't say that pretty gentleman no one can look into the urn of fate and yet you and your tribe pretend to do it said churchill we study the stars more than others do and learn to read em my noble gentleman i've read something in the stars about you since the night your cousin was murdered and pray what do the stars say of me inquired churchill with a scornful laugh they say that you're a kind-hearted gentleman at bottom and will befriend the poor gypsy i'm afraid they're out in their reckoning for once in a way perhaps it was mercury you got the information from he's a notorious trickster and now pray my good woman turning to see that they were beyond the ken of the rest what did you mean by sending me a letter to say you could tell me something about my cousin's death if you really have any information to give your wisest course is to carry it directly to the police and if your information should lead to the discovery of the murderer you may earn a reward that will provide for you for the rest of your life his eyes were on the woman's face as he spoke with that intent look with which he was accustomed to read the human countenance i've thought of that answered the gypsy and i was very near going and telling all i knew to the police the morning after the murder but i changed my mind about it when i heard you were here i thought it might be better for me to see you first i can't quite fathom your motive however as i am willing to give two hundred pounds reward for such information as may lead to the apprehension and conviction of the murderer you may have come to the right person in coming to me only i tell you frankly that deeply as i am interested in the punishment of my cousin's assassin i had rather not be troubled about details i won't even ask the nature of your information take my advice my good soul and carry it to the police they are the people to profit by it they are the people to act upon it yes and cheat me of the reward after all choke me off with a five-pound note perhaps i know too much of the police to be over-inclined to trust em is your information conclusive asked churchill certain to lead to the conviction of the murderer i won't say so much as that but i know it's worth hearing and worth paying for you may as well tell me all about it if you don't like to tell the police what without being paid for my secret no my pretty gentleman i'm not such a fool as that come said churchill with a laugh what does your knowledge amount to nothing i dare say that every one else in ebersham doesn't share you know that my cousin has been murdered and that i am anxious to find the murderer i know more than that my noble gentleman what then i know who did it churchill turned his quick glance upon her again searching incredulous derisive come he said you don't expect to make me believe that you know the criminal and let him slip and lose your chance of the reward you are not that kind of woman i don't say that i've let him slip or lost my chance of profiting by what i know suppose the criminal was someone i'm interested in someone i shouldn't like to see come to harm in that case you shouldn't come to me about it 
you don't imagine that i am going to condone my cousin's murder but i believe your story is all a fable it's as true as the planets we have been encamped here for the last week and on the night of the murder we'd all been at the races folks are always kind to gypsies upon a race-course and there was plenty to eat and drink for all of us perhaps a little too much drink and when the races were over i fell asleep in one of the booths among some straw in a corner where no one took any notice of me my son reuben him as you saw yonder just now was in the town up to very little good i dare say and left me to take care of myself and when i woke it was late at night and the place was all dark and quiet i didn't know how late it was till i came through the town and found all the lights out and the streets empty and heard the cathedral clock strike two i walked slow and the clock had struck the half-hour before i got through the bar i was dead tired standing and walking about the race-course all day and as i came along this road i saw someone walking a little way ahead of me he walked on and i walked after him keeping on the other side of the way and in the shadow of the hedge about a hundred yards behind him and all at once i heard a shot fired and saw him drop down there was no one to give the alarm to and no good in giving it if he was dead i kept on in the shadow till i came nearly opposite where he lay and then i slipped down into the ditch there was no water in it nothing but mud and slime and duckweed and such like and i squatted there in the shadow and watched like some toad in its hole said churchill common humanity would have urged you to try to help the fallen man he was past help kind gentleman he dropped without a groan never so much as moaned as he lay there and it was wiser for me to watch the murderer so as to be able to bear witness against him when the right time came than to scare him away by squeaking out like a raven well woman you watched and saw what i saw a man stooping over the murdered gentleman a tall man in a loose overcoat with a scarf muffled round his neck he put his hand in the other one's bosom to feel if his heart had left off beating i suppose and drew it out again bloody i could see that even in the dim light betwixt night and morning for i've something of a cat's eye your honour and i'm pretty well used to seeing in the dark candles ain't ever plentiful with our people he held up his hand dripping with blood and pulled a white handkerchief out of his pocket with the other hand to wipe the blood off churchill turned and looked her in the face for the first time since she had begun her narrative come he said you're overdoing the details your story would sound more like the truth if it were less elaborate i can't help the sound of it sir there's not a word i'm saying that i wouldn't swear by to-morrow in a court of justice you've kept your evidence back too long i'm afraid you ought to have given this information at the inquest a jury would hardly believe your story now what not if i had proof of what i say what proof woman the handkerchief with which the murderer wiped those blood-stains off his hands pshaw exclaimed churchill contemptuously there are a hundred ways in which you might come possessed of a man's handkerchief your tribe lives by such petty plunder do you suppose that you a gypsy and a vagabond would ever persuade a british jury to believe your evidence against a gentleman what cried the woman eagerly then you know it was a gentleman who murdered your cousin didn't you say so just this minute 
not i my noble gentleman i told you he was tall and wore an overcoat that's all i told you about him well what next he wiped the blood off his hand then put the handkerchief back in his pocket as he thought but i suppose he wasn't quite used to the work he was doing for in his confusion he missed the pocket and let the handkerchief fall into the road i didn't give him time to find out his mistake for while he was stooping over the dead man emptying his pockets i crept across the road got hold of the handkerchief and slipped back to my hiding-place in the ditch again i'm light of foot you see your honour though an old woman what next he opened the dead man's purse emptied it and put the contents in his own waistcoat pocket then he crammed watch and purse down into the ditch the same ditch where i was hiding but a little way off took a stick which he had broken off the hedge and thrust it down into the mud under the weeds making sure i suppose that no one could ever find it there when he had done this he pulled himself together as you may say and hurried off as fast as he could go panting like a hunted deer across the swampy ground and towards the river where they found his footsteps afterwards i think it would have been cleverer of him if he'd left his victim's pockets alone and let those that found the body rub it as they'd have been pretty sure to do yet it was artful of him to clean the pockets out so as to make it seem a common case of highway robbery with violence what did you do with the handkerchief took it home with me to that tent yonder that's what we call home and lighted an end of candle and smoothed out the handkerchief to see if there was any mark upon it gentlemen are so particular about their things you see and don't like to get them changed at the wash yes there the mark was sure enough the name in full christian and surname it was as much as i could do to read em for the blood-stains what was the name that's my secret every secret has its price and i've put a price on mine if i was sure of getting the reward and not having the police turn against me i might be more ready to tell what i know you're a curious woman said churchill after a longish pause but i suppose you've some plan of your own yes your honour i have my views as to this story of yours even supported by the evidence of this handkerchief which you pretend to have found i doubt very much if it would have the smallest weight with a jury i do not therefore press you to bring forward your information though as my cousin's next of kin it is of course my duty to do my best to bring his assassin to justice that's just what i thought your honour precisely and you did quite right in bringing the subject before me it will be necessary for me to know when and where i can find you in future so that when the right time comes you may be at hand to make your statement we are but wanderers on the face of the earth kind gentlemen whined the gipsy it isn't very easy to find us when you want us that's what i've been thinking returned churchill musingly if you had some settled home now you're getting old and must be tired of roving i fancy sleeping under straw under canvas in a climate in which east winds are the rule rather than the exception that sort of thing must be rather trying at your time of life i should imagine trying i'm racked with the rheumatics every winter your honour my bones are not so much bones as gnawing wolves they torment me so sometimes i feel as if i could chop off my limbs willingly to be quit of the pain in them a settled home 
a warm bed a fireside that would be heaven to me well i'll think about it and see what can be done for you in the meantime i'll give you a trifle to ward off the rheumatism he opened his purse and gave the woman a banknote part of an advance made him by mr pergament that morning the gipsy uttered her usual torrent of blessings the gratitude wherewith she was wont to salute her benefactors have you ever been in cornwall asked churchill lord love your honour there isn't a nook or a corner in all england where i haven't been good if you happen to be in cornwall any time during the next three months you may look me up at penwin manor bless you my generous gentleman it won't be very long before you see me whenever you please returned churchill with that air of well-bred indifference which he wore as a badge of his class good afternoon he turned to go back to the city leaving the woman standing alone by the river brink looking after him lost in thought or lost in wonder fifteen they shall pass and their places be taken the letter which told miss bellingham that her lover was master of penwin seemed to her almost like the end of a fairy tale lady cheshunt had dropped in to afternoon tea only a quarter of an hour before the letter arrived and madge was busy with the old battersea cups and saucers and the quaint little wedgwood teapot when the accomplished serving-man who never abated one iota of his professional solemnity because his wages were doubtful presented churchill's letter on an antique salver put it on the table please said madge busy with the tea-service and painfully conscious that the dowager's eye was upon her she had recognized churchill's hand at a glance and thought how daring nay even impudent it was of him to write to her it was mean of him to take such advantage of her weakness that sunday morning she thought true that in one fatal moment she had let him discover the secret she was most anxious to hide but she had given him no right over her she had made him no promise her love had been admitted hypothetically if we lived in a different world if i had myself only to consider she had said to him which meant that she would have nothing to do with him under existing circumstances she glanced at viola that fragile sevres china beauty with her air of being unfitted for the vulgar uses of life poor child for her sake i ought to marry mr balecroft that pompous manchester merchant or that vapid young fop sir henry featherstone she thought with a sigh read your letter my dear love said lady cheshunt leaning over the tray to put an extra lump of sugar into her cup and scrutinizing the address of that epistle which had brought the warm crimson blood to match bellingham's cheeks and brow the good-natured dowager permitted herself this breach of good breeding in the warmth of her affection for madge the handwriting was masculine evidently that was all lady cheshunt could discover miss bellingham broke the seal trying to look composed and indifferent but after hurriedly reading churchill's brief letter gave a little cry of horror good heavens it is too dreadful she exclaimed what is too dreadful child you remember what we were talking about last saturday night when you took so much trouble to warn me against allowing myself to-to entangle myself i think that's what you called it with mr penwin with the poor mr penwin i remember perfectly and that letter is from him the man has had the audacity to propose to you you may well say it is too dreadful his cousin has been murdered lady cheshunt his cousin mr james penwin and your man comes into the penwin estate cried the energetic dowager 
my dearest madge i congratulate you poor young penwin a boy at school or a lad at the university i believe nobody seems to know much about him he has been murdered shot from behind a hedge by some midnight assassin isn't that dreadful said madge too much shocked by the tidings in her lover's letter to consider the difference this event might make in her own fortunes she could not be glad all at once though that one man whom her heart had chosen for its master was raised from poverty to opulence for a little while at least she could only think of the victim very dreadful echoed lady cheshunt the police ought to prevent such things one pays highway rates and sewer rates and so forth till one is positively ruined and yet one can be murdered on the very high road one pays for with impunity there must be something wrong in the legislature i hope things will be better when our party comes in look at that child viola she's as white as a sheet of paper just as if she were going to faint you shouldn't blurt out your blunders in that abrupt way madge viola gave a little hysterical sob and promised not to faint this time she was but a fragile piece of human porcelain given to swooning at the slightest provocation she went round to madge and knelt down by her and kissed her fondly knowing enough of her sister's feelings to comprehend that this fatal event was likely to benefit madge odd that i did not see anything of this business in the papers exclaimed lady cheshunt but then i only read the post and that does not make a feature of murders papa is at newmarket said viola and madge and i never look at the papers or hear any news while he is away madge sat silent looking at churchill's letter till every word seemed to burn itself into her brain the firm straight hand the letters long and narrow and a little pointed something like that wonderful writing of joseph addison's how well she knew it and yet he must have been agitated thought madge even his quiet force of character could not stand against such a shock as this after what he said to me too last sunday to think that wealth and position should have come to him so suddenly there seems something awful in it lady cheshunt had quite recovered her habitual gaiety by this time and dismissed jane penwin's death as a subject that was done with for the moment merely expressing her intention of reading the details of the event in the newspapers at her leisure and so my dear madge mr penwin wrote to you immediately she said doesn't that look rather as if there were some kind of understanding between you there was no understanding between us lady cheshunt except that i could never be mr penwin's wife while he was a poor man he understood that perfectly i told him in the plainest hardest words like a woman of the world as i am you needn't say that so contemptuously madge i'm a woman of the world and i own it without a blush what's the use of living in the world if you don't acquire worldly wisdom it's like living ever so long in a foreign country without learning the language and implies egregious stupidity and so you told churchill penwin that you couldn't marry him on account of his poverty and you pledged yourself to wait ten or twenty years for him i suppose and refuse every decent offer for his sake no lady cheshunt i promised nothing well my dear providence has been very good to you for no doubt if mr penwin had remained poor you'd have made a fool of yourself sooner or later for his sake and gone to live in bloomsbury where even i couldn't have visited you on account of my servants one might get over that sort of thing oneself but coachmen are so particular where they wait 
her ladyship rattled on for another quarter of an hour promised madge to come and stay at penwin manor with her by and by congratulated viola on her sister's good fortune hoped that her dear madge would make a point of spending the season in london when she became mrs penwin while madge sat unresponsive hardly listening to this flow of commonplace but thinking how awful fortune was when it came thus suddenly and had death for its herald she felt relieved when lady cheshunt gathered up her silken train for the last time and went rustling downstairs to the elegant victoria which appeared far too fairy-like a vehicle to contain that bulky matron thank heaven she's gone cried madge how she does talk yes dear but she is always kind pleaded viola and so fond of you madge put her arms round the girl and kissed her passionately that sisterly love of hers was almost the strongest feeling in her breast and all madge's affections were strong she had no milk-and-water love dearest she said softly how happy we can be now i hope it isn't wicked to be happy when fortune comes to us in such a dreadful manner you do care a little for mr penwin then dear said viola without entering upon this somewhat obscure question i love him with all my heart and soul oh madge and you never told me why tell you something that might make you unhappy i should never have dreamt of marrying churchill but for this turn in fortune's wheel i wanted to make what is called a good marriage for your sake darling more than for my own i wanted to win a happy home for you so that when your time came to marry you might not be pressed or harassed by worldly people as i have been and might follow the dictates of your own heart oh madge you are quite too good cried viola with enthusiasm and we may be very happy mayn't we my pet continued the elder living together at a picturesque old place in cornwall with the great waves of the atlantic rolling up to the edge of our grounds and in london sometimes if churchill likes and knowing no more of debt and difficulty or cutting and contriving so as to look like ladies upon the income of ladies maids life will begin afresh for us viola poor papa sighed viola you'll be kind to him won't you madge my dearest you know that i love him papa will be very glad depend upon it and he will like to go back to his old bachelor ways i dare say now that he will not be burdened with two marriageable daughters when will you be married madge oh not for ever so long dear not for a twelvemonth i should think churchill will be in mourning for his cousin and it wouldn't look well for him to marry soon after such a dreadful event i suppose not are you to see him soon very soon love here is his postscript madge read the last lines of her lover's letter i shall come back to town directly the inquest is over and all arrangements made and my first visit shall be to you of course and you really really love him madge asked viola anxiously really really but why ask that question viola after what i told you just now only because you've taken me by surprise dear and don't be angry with me madge because churchill penwin has never been a favourite of mine but of course now i shall begin to like him immensely you're so much a better judge of character than i am you see madge and if you think him good and true i have never thought of his goodness or his truth said madge with a rather gloomy look i only know that i love him End of volume one chapters fourteen and fifteen